Thank you, Pastor Chris, and so good to have you here today. Thank you for being a part of our service. If you're watching online, I know so many people, this is winter break for a lot of our schools. Some of you hit the road, headed somewhere warm maybe, and, um, but we're glad that you're able to join us wherever you might be. And uh, thank you for uh, being here. This past week, um, one of our faithful members, uh, Nancy Davis, uh, passed away on Monday. And, um, you know, he's uh, been homebound for the past few years. And um, so being prayer for uh, the family, Chuck Davis, her husband of 58 years. And um, let's just uh, pray for strength in the days ahead. Uh, services, um, service is at Wadsit Funeral Home on March 9th. It's a Saturday afternoon. We'll have more information um, if you pay attention to the Facebook and um, and if you know them, we'd love to have you there. But um, we are thankful for Nancy for her testimony, and, and she is now healed and, uh, and with ha- in heaven with, um, with our Savior, Jesus Christ. So we do have that hope that we can see Nancy again. And, uh, and so, but um, be in prayer for them if you would. You know, today we're starting a brand new message series, um, and it's titled, very simply, Grace Undeserved. Grace Undeserved. Now, I love the worship song that we just sang. Death was arrested, right? Oh, your grace so free, it watches over me. You have made me new. Now, life begins with you. You know, the word grace can be defined as God's favor toward the unworthy. Toward the unworthy. Another way to understand grace is God given us what we do not deserve. It is his unlimited favor that he's given to you and to me. And what I want to do for the next several weeks, I want to show you four different stories of the power of God's grace. People who deserved something bad, but because of the goodness and grace of Jesus, he did not give them what they deserve. The story of the adulterous woman, we'll look at that story next Sunday. The week number three, we'll look at the story of Zacchaeus, the wee little man who climbed up a sycamore tree. Week number four, we'll look at the story of Peter who denied Jesus three times. But today we're going to look at a story of someone who actually deserved death. But because of the grace of Jesus, he did not give this man what he deserved. Jesus instead gave him life. In order for us to really understand, you know, this message, we need to start with a very foundational understanding that we all must have a handle on. Another dish, if you're taking notes, we must understand that we are all guilty. Every one of us, we are guilty of breaking God's laws. Every single one of us, including you, including me. We are all guilty of breaking God's law, and that's why we're called sinners. We're sinners because we have broken one of God's laws. Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. Every one of us have fallen short 
of the God perfection, God glory. And so we have fallen short, and because we've fallen short, we are sinners. The Bible says in James chapter 2, verse 10, for the person who keeps all of the laws, this is a very good person, by the way, if you're keeping all the laws, except one, he missed one, he broke one law. The Bible says he is as guilty as a person who had, been, who had broken all of God's laws. In other words, if you lost one time, if you cheated one time, if you stole one time, if you've gossiped one time, if you've lied one time, if you did it just one time, you're as guilty in the eyes of God as someone who broke them all. Romans chapter 6 tells us exactly what the payment, the punishment is for breaking God's laws. It says in Romans chapter 6 verse 23, it said, for the wages or the penalty of sin is death. And this is what the scripture is telling us. Because we have all sinned against God, we actually deserve death. Not only do we deserve physical death, but we also deserve a spiritual death, which means that we all deserve eternal separation from God in hell. But the good news is found in the rest of that verse, in verse 23, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That word gift in the Greek language is pronounced, it's the word charisma. Charisma, it means favor. It means grace. You could almost put the word grace in there, but the grace of God, the gift of God, the grace of God, the favor of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we deserve death, right? But in God's great grace, a gift that we do not deserve, he gives us a new life, grace, God given us what we do not deserve. And I was interested, we, we seen an old hymn this morning, A Victory in Jesus. I'm reminded of another great anthem of our faith. In 1910, it was written in Moody Bible College in Chicago, picked up on this song, it became their anthem, and it became a song of the redeemed. The song that simply says, marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt, yonder on Calvary's mount, outpoured, there's where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. And then the chorus is simply, grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within, grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all of our sins. We look at the story in Luke chapter 23. We're going to see Jesus on the cross in between two thieves or two criminals. And here's what Luke says about this story. He said in verse number 32, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there. Along with the criminals, in some translation, thieves, one on his right and the other on his left. 
But before we read the next part of the story, I, I need to talk about the crucifixion for just a moment. Crucifixion was one of the many different ways that you could execute a person during the life of Christ. Lots of different ways to execute someone, but a crucifixion happens to be the most expensive way to do it. The reason was so expensive is that it required four Roman soldiers and a centurion. And so the manpower, you know, the expense of the manpower was high. And, it, and of course, crucifixion was not immediate. Sometimes the person would suffer on a cross, and it would be days before he would die on that cross. And so there were a, a lot of expense being, you know, in, in a crucifixion. There were cheaper and quicker options for sure. You could, they could have easily done that. But the reason the, woman, uh, the Romans would crucify someone is because not only was it expensive, but it happened to be the most painful, the most uh, humiliating way to execute a person. The Roman leaders, they reserved this for those that they really, really wanted to see suffer. You know, perhaps they want to make a public statement in that crucifixion. They want to put up maybe a, a leader of a, of, a, of a rebellious group or a gang leader. And they would make a public statement. Maybe it's a political enemy. That's the reason why they would crucify someone. And so knowing that, it tells a lot about who Jesus was hanging next to. And we don't know what they did. But it was bad enough to spend extra money to bring extra pain and extra humiliation. Now, the reason why it was so painful and humiliated, they would, they would actually strip the criminal down naked. And so they would hang naked in front of everybody. The sun would just beat down on them for days, and eventually they would, beca they would be uh, become mad. They would start to lose their senses and start saying things, to, you know, and, 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 and they would lose their senses in order to breathe. In order for them to breathe on the cross, they would, they would have to pull up all the weight on, their, on those nails in their hands and their feet and have to pull up just to get, to open up the airway for them to breathe. And then they would collapse. And then when they need to breathe again, they would pull themselves up and this went on for hours and see, and sometimes days, and, 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 and the death on the cross typically was because of the exhaustion of constantly pulling himself up on those nails. And they would eventually suffocate, and they would die because they were tired of pulling themselves up. It, wasn't, it was not uncommon but in, the, in their last hours when they were barely making it that birds would land and start picking on their bodies. Humiliated. People walked by laughing and mocking them on the cross. And so we don't know what the, 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 the two thieves or the criminals, what they did, but it was bad enough to spend that extra money to humiliate them just that they wanted to humiliate Jesus. And here we see them in this horrible situation on the cross. We start pick up a conversation in verse number 39. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insult at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. 
But the other criminal rebuked him. You got the other bad guy. He looked at the first bad guy and he said, don't you fear God? He said, since we are under the same sentence, we are punished justly. For we are getting what our deed, what our deed deserve. In other words, we, we, man, we brought this on ourselves. We deserve to be on the cross. We've done some bad things. We've done some deeds, plural. But then he said, but this man pointed to Jesus, or referring to Jesus, he's done nothing wrong. And what I'd like to do today for the next few minutes is just very gently suggest to all of us in this room, to every single one of you, spiritually speaking, are one of these two thieves. Every single one of us, if we look at it from a spiritual perspective in, the, in, in God's eyes, every person in this room, we're like one of these two thieves. I want to look again at what they said in these moments and summarize so you can help determine if you are thief number one or thief number two. Let's look at thief number one. Look at verse 39. He's hanging there. He's mocking Jesus. He says, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Now, what do we know about this guy? He, he, he's arrogant. He's full of pride. He, he's a smart aleck, right? He doesn't fear God at all. If there's anything about God that he wants, he's like, okay, hey, if, you're, if you are the Savior, Jesus, guys, then save us. You know, there are many people that approach God the same way. They'll say, all right, all right, if, if there is a hell, and if, if there is a heaven, then I, I would just go ahead and say the stupid little prayer, check off the box on the back of the connection card, Go take the little class, and while I'm at it, I just get baptized just to cover the bases, and I don't really think it's going to work, but whatever. You see, this guy, he's not recognizing his guilt. He's like, I've done nothing wrong. I don't deserve it. This is not fair. I don't like this whole thing. And so thief number one, if I'm going to summarize this guy in one word, if you're taking notes, I'm going to say that he is unrepentant. Unrepentant. He's not owning the situation. He's not owning his sinfulness. He's not owning that he's done anything wrong. He's critical. He doesn't fear God. He is unrepentant. The second criminal, though, he's equally guilty. He has a different perspective, and we pick it up when he said in verse 40, where he said to the other guy, don't you fear God, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. In other words, we broke the law. We actually deserve this. And then he said, this guy, Jesus, he's innocent. He's done nothing wrong. Thief number two he is absolutely guilty. No doubt about it. He deserves it. But I want you to notice that he's broken. 
that he's humbled. He recognizes the fact that I done something wrong. And so to summarize thief number two, I'm going to say that he's repentant. He's repentant. Thief number one, unrepentant. Thief number two, repentant. Thief number two, he knows that he needs mercy. He knows that he needs help. He knows that he can't do anything for himself at this moment. And he's calling out on Jesus. Now, let me, I need to explain why this is so important for us. You see, we live in a world today that culture has shifted in a significant way. You see, 30 years ago, people, people had no problem saying, I'm a sinner. I've sinned. I'm a sinner. And today, however, people will say, don't call me a sinner. Don't call me a sinner. I, I'm not a sinner. I'm not a bad person. Don't, don't tell me that's a sin. And the problem is that when we begin to have that mindset, then we begin to compare ourselves not to God's you know, standard, but we start to compare ourselves to others. We start to compare ourselves to, to the people that we're like, man, they're really, really, really bad. You know, I'm, we're going to say, I'm not that bad of a person. You might be here today and say, I'm not, I know I'm not a bad person because I'm sitting next to a guy or a woman who's just, he's really bad. He, he's terrible. Just go ahead and elbow him or her right now and say, hey, you make me feel better about myself today. <laughs> don't do that. Uh-uh. <laughs> Get in trouble. <laughs> you see, we, we, we don't want to be called sinners today. This is, this is why this is important. We must, we must recognize that all of us have broken God's laws. And we, we talked about that was the very first big statement. We have to have that. We have all broken. We have to understand that. We have all broken God's laws. And we have to start there because until we recognize that we've sinned, then we don't recognize our need for a Savior. If you're taking notes, it's, we, we become a candidate for grace at the moment we recognize that we've fallen short of God's standards. If you're unrepentant, if you're arrogant and full of pride, you're more like thief number one. You don't see yourself needing a savior. You don't see a need for it. But if you recognize I've messed up, I've done wrong, I absolutely need a savior, because I need forgiveness, then you're like thief number two. You're repentant. You see a need for him. Until you see your sinfulness, you won't see your need for a Savior. How, how many of you in this room, you, let's just be honest, okay? I want y'all to be honest because confession is good for the soul. And I'll be the first one to raise my hand. But how many of you ever gotten pulled over and got a speeding ticket? Uh, I, all right, let's see, put the hand down. How many of you say, I've never got a speeding ticket, I've never been pulled over? I said, oh man, look at you righteous people, not so good. 
Yeah, I've been pulled over several times. I've been, hey, I, I'm in my 40s. I'm almost done with my 40s. I've had a good run. I've not had a ticket in the last, you know, in my 40s, you know. But my 20s and 30s, you know, I, 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 it took me some, you know, learning. At first, when the first time I got pulled over, you know, I, I didn't admit my guilt. I played dumb. Like, what did I do? You know, can I see, you know, you know why I pulled you over? I, I have no idea. I knew. I knew exactly why he pulled me. Uh-huh. So what it was a speed limit. You see the speed limit? Oh, no. I, I, I must have been going 35. No, no, no. You were going about 55 and a 35. Oh. Okay. Uh, I didn't know. Okay. He comes back. Here's a ticket. I, I've learned now that when I get pulled over, when he comes up to the window, I have my papers, my license. I, I look at him and said. I'm guilty, busted, you caught me, I was speeding, I know it, please forgive me. <laughs> and, and I've learned that when I have that posture to the, to the police officer, that I become a potential candidate for grace. That he may just come back and say, you know, I, I uh, decided to give you a warning. I said, thank you. I, I don't deserve the warning, but thank you. <laughs> you know? I said, well, just be careful and slow down. I said, I got it. I'm not saying it always works, but you become a candidate for it. Whereas if you come with this attitude of unrepentant and, you know, and, 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 and confused, uh, he pretty much like, you know what, you're getting it, buddy. You become a candidate for God's grace. When we come to him and say, God, I've sinned, I'd mess up, I'm vile, I'm broken, I'm a sinner. We become a candidate for God's grace. And here's, here's what's so amazing to me in this story. is that Jesus was hanging on the cross next to two guilty people. They were both equally guilty. They both equally deserved death. Both men saw and heard the same thing from Jesus in those few faithful hours. They both had the very same opportunity. They were both suffering and they both needed a savior. One did and the other didn't. And sadly, the very same thing is going to happen today in this room. There's going to be two people, side by side, singing the same songs, hearing the same message of the goodness of God. And one person's going to be thief number one, stupid religion. I don't need it. I'm just here. I didn't really want to be here. Right next to him is the person that said, you know, I messed up. I'm a sinner. And I need grace. And the good news is that second one is going to call on the name of Jesus to be made new. Forgiven, changed, transformed. If you're taking note, the second thief, he deserved death. But Jesus, in his goodness, gave him life. 
the way that Jesus forgave him is so powerful. And it illustrates the beauty of the grace of God. My friend, if this doesn't draw you in to the love of God, then I don't know what will. Let me show you the power of this grace. In verse 42 and 43, the second thief, he just rebuked the first thief. And then looked to Jesus with his repentant heart. And notice what he says. And I don't miss this. Verse 42. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Do you get that? I don't want you to miss it. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. He said, Jesus, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. That was it. He, he, he didn't say, oh, Heavenly Father, I beseech you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now grant thy forgiveness to this unrepentant sinner. He didn't say that. No fancy words. Right? No, no begging. It was just simply, Jesus, remember me. And, and, and notice how Jesus responded. Verse 43, Jesus answered him, Truly, I tell you, today, today, you will be with me in paradise. Couple of sentences, right? And this guy's life is changed for all of eternity. This speaks to the power, the story speaks to the power of grace found in Paul's writing in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You see, you and I were saved by grace through faith and not by works. By the grace of God through believing what Jesus did on the cross on your behalf, that's enough. That's enough, not by works. See, you are not made right with God by being good enough. You are not made right with God by just going to church. You're not made right with God by being a church member. You're not made right with God by giving. You're not made right with God by helping little old lady cross the street. You're not made right by God by being a nice person. You're not made right with God by getting rid of bad stuff out of your life. You're not made right with God by being a religious person. You are made right with God by grace through faith. It's that simple. You see, the thief on the cross, he illustrates it so perfectly. He couldn't do any good works because his hands were bound to a cross. He couldn't even go to church because he couldn't get off the cross. He couldn't even turn a new leaf because he was about to die right there on that cross. All he could do was trust by faith and faith alone 
in the grace of Jesus. And when he did that, it activates all the other power of Scripture. The Bible said in Psalm 103, verse 10, that God does not treat us as our sins deserve, or repay us according to our iniquities. Why? Well, here's why. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him as far as the east is from the west. So far has he removed our transgressions from us. Isn't that awesome? God does not treat us as our sins deserve because we deserve death, but because of Jesus, he gave you and I new life. Here's the news that you cannot miss. We don't have eternal life because we're good. Oh, no. We have eternal life because he's good. He is good. That's the heart of the gospel. We're not good. We're not good. We don't earn it. We never deserve it. We only have it. Because God is so good. Let, let, let me just take a minute and tell you how good he is. He loves you so much that if you were the only person born in this world, he would come down just for you. He would die on that cross just for you. There's nothing you can do to make him love you more there's no sin that you can commit that can make him love you any less because he loves you. Love is not just what he does. It's who he is. He is love. And because he loves you so much, he sent his only begotten son, Jesus, who did not consider himself equal with God. But he emptied himself. He humbled himself and became nothing in a form to become a form of a servant. And he was obedient to death, even death on a cross. He did that for you and he did that for me, our Savior. God in the flesh on the cross. When, when he should have been sitting on the throne of glory, our Savior was hanging on the cross. When he should have been wearing a crown of gold. He was wearing a crown of thorns. When he should have been surrounded by servants and angels, he surrounded himself with sinners. When he was innocent, he gave his life for me and you. We're the guilty ones and not him. While we were still sinners, Christ, he died for us. Took my sins, your sins. He took it upon him, and it took our punishment, and the wrath of God was poured out on him. It should have been poured out on us. But in his grace, he took it. He was buried. Three days later, as we say this morning, death was arrested. And he rose again. My friend, don't you see? We don't have the potential of eternal life because we're good. No, 
we have it. Because he's so good. He's so good. First Peter 1 verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And see, this is why we're calling this message series Grace Undeserved. We don't deserve it, but they give it to us anyway. Question for you as we wrap it up. Which thief do you identify with this morning? Perhaps you're a thief this morning, you're thief number one. You're unrepentant. And I pray that today you will become like thief number two and become a candidate for the grace of God and have a heart of repentance and invite him to come into your life to be your Lord and to be your Savior. We deserve death, every one of us. But Jesus gave us a chance to have life and life more abundant. Not because we deserve it, but because in his grace, he loves us. Grace, grace. God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within us. Grace, grace. God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. Grace so rich and so free. We don't deserve it. But you love us. You send your only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. And God, I pray that we don't miss it. Perhaps there's someone here this morning that needs to receive that favor of God, the gift of salvation. Perhaps today is your day of salvation. Mrs. Scott, you're talking to me today. Today I've been like thief number one, unrepentant. I've been coming to church with my arm crossed, just kind of going through the motions. But today, I will become thief number two. I will become repentant. Realize that I cannot do this on my own. Today, I want Jesus to come into my life and be my savior. And I know you can do that today right where you're at. This morning in our first service, several made that decision and asked Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. Perhaps today, today is your day. And I said, what do I do? The Bible says all we have to do is call out on the name of Jesus and pray and ask him to come into your life. 
That's it. Not by works. It's simply faith in him. Faith alone. You should pray this prayer right here. So you're not going to pray it to me. You can pray it quietly in the quietness of your heart, right where you're sitting. And if this is you, you want to get saved today, pray this prayer. Dear God, I am a sinner. And I deserve hell. I deserve death. But today, I want to give my life to you. And I want you to forgive me of all my sins, my past sins, and my future sins. I want to become a child of God. I want to be a part of the family of God. Come into my life and save me. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for coming out of the grave. For me. If that's you this morning, says God, I pray that prayer. No one's looking. I'm not going to embarrass you. But he said, I pray that prayer. And I've asked Jesus today to come into my life. If that's you, will you just raise your hand? Anybody in this room? I prayed and I asked Jesus. I see that hand back there. Anyone else? Anyone else? Put your hand down, anyone else? Oh, God, we thank you for those that made decisions today. We thank you for grace that keeps saving and its unlimited favor of God. Even as Christians in our failings, it's your grace that keeps on saving us. And so, God, we thank you for all you've done in our church today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.